Can never escape. It happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Can never escape. With Brady and Rob. Hey everybody, hey everybody, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the film podcast where we do a film a week from two film geeks. You have the two film geeks here. There's me, Rob. And me, Brady. Oh yes, there is. That's indeed exactly how things are going. Um, so, we watched the new Borat movie. We did, we watched it this weekend. We, not, it's not what we're casting. We watched but... it last night. But, oh yeah, no, yeah, I guess that has nothing to do with this uh, cast. This cast but, is on Eight Man Out. But no, if you want to say, how'd you, how'd you like the Borat movie? It's okay to let them know what we did this week. We also uh, elected a president this week. Did we? Uh, pretty much. I we're, mean, we're nearly there. The Associated Press called it, yes. I uh, guess. Um, things happened, uh, just as they do. You things know, happen. like they do. Things happen. Which, At any rate, a lot of the movies we cover are about things happening. Coincidence? I think not. Well, I think so. Oh. It's. I. I think just film is about things happening. You um, know what? You're right. Yeah. You're right. And and much of the problem with this film was nothing happened. <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> we'll get into that. Will we? Okay, yeah, so we watched Eight Man Out. A lot of you might have thought that we were watching uh, No Country for Old Men because I said that quite convincingly last time, even though I lost the one, two, three shoot. Um, uh, the thing is, I didn't realize I lost the one, two, three shoot when I said that. So we'll try to make me a little bit better about saying, okay, and you can join us next week for the movie, and then we'll tell you what we're doing based You're on how we decided. You're very convincing. What, what can we say? Yes, I convinced myself very well. Would you say you have a, a vocal gravitas? I'd say I agree with me. I agree with me. That's very empowering. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, this movie's from 1988, and you're probably Please? best to pl- plot synopsize. So, uh, yes, uh, we don't want to leave you waiting, dear listener. Uh, let's get straight into the content. Okay, dear listener, the movie we covered is John Sayles, director, writer-director John Sayles, is Eight Men Out. Uh, Sayles is a guy that I'm just starting to explore. He made a, a movie called uh, The Brother from Another Planet, which is about an alien who comes to New York City and happens to look black, and a film I'm very much looking forward to catching up with called Lone Star with Chris Cooper uh, in the early 90s, I believe. Oh, I thought that was like a TV show. Oh, it probably is. That that seems like it would be a popular title. Uh but, so, uh, this guy Sales, he's kind of um, a very scripty writer-director, and what he takes on this time is a sports movie, which you wouldn't think would be the first place for uh, a very hyper-literate writer-director. Uh, but this is not just about games being played, but specifically about the most famous scandal, um, certainly in baseball history and maybe in sports history entire, I would argue. And that is the 19... Uh, 19? 1919. 1919 Chicago Black Sox scandal. That's the scandal where eight of the Chicago White Sox were found guilty 
of throwing the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. Well, they were found innocent. Oh, oh no, yeah. But, but they the, were found to have, and then basically the baseball commission was formed uh, because of this particular thing, and that's what made yes, them go. to like, hold them accountable. So eight of them were not allowed to play in the league anymore. Yes, correct. They, they were found innocent in a court of law, but uh, the commissioner of baseball, first commissioner of baseball, a stern man who uh, was mostly known for cracking down on union protesters named Kennesaw Mountain Landis, uh, said, yeah, you may be innocent in court, but you know what? Not in my sport. I'm a stern man. I'm going to hit you with a big stick. Also, this wasn't my sport until just two seconds ago when they made me in charge of this sport. Yes, <laughs> but that doesn't happen For until life. the life. So, to do a plot synopsis, we come in on the day that the Chicago White Sox uh, finally defeat their rivals for the pennant, the league pennant, uh, and are headed to the World Series. On that day, their owner, Charles Comiskey, uh, the man who, uh, you know, his name is uh, on Comiskey Park, where the White Sox play. Yeah, big, fat, stingy bastard. He's a stingy bastard. He's not paying them very well. He doesn't pay them very well. And their only gift, their promised bonus for winning the pennant, is bottles of champagne that turn out to be flat. Yeah, which is weird. It's like, can't you guys make a cork? What the hell's going on here? And also, they only opened one bottle. There were several bottles. They could have opened the next bottle and been like, oh, this one's fine. Yeah, I assume <laughs> it's shorthand. Um, but let's introduce you to some of the players. The most famous actor here, I would say, is probably John Cusack, right? Or Christopher Lloyd. Oh, oh yeah. Christopher. He's not one of the players, though. So, guys, this is a huge... One of the hugest I've ever seen ensemble cast. It's very star-studded. Uh, yeah. Well, star-studded, but also uh, populated with kind of character actors. Some you've heard of, maybe, or seen. Uh, others not. You know, I know the guy who plays uh, Arnold Rothstein, who was a, a character in Boardwalk Empire. Uh, he's played by the guy who was in Barton Fink, but I haven't actually seen him in other stuff before. Yeah, Arnold Rothstein was also a, a real guy. Yeah, he, no, he's a real guy, too. He's not... So this, again, a true story. <laughs> well, it's based on a book, right? Oh, yeah, based on and, a book. And, and the uh, book wasn't nonfiction, but it wasn't, you know, it was also based on a true story. Yes. So, on the day they win, after being, you know, after being ripped off by their owner and not given much of a gift for their efforts... They go to a bar all together to at least celebrate and get some maybe alcohol that isn't past its expiration date. And while they're there, uh, the, let's see, I think I can do the positions. The first baseman, Chick Grandel, played by Michael Rooker. You might know him as Merle in The Walking Dead or as Yondu, uh, the blue-faced whistling dart guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. I also thought for a second that maybe he was the, the kind of antagonistic guy in Full Metal Jacket. Uh, no, but he would have fit him. right in. Yeah, the, you know, the guy who's just, you know, like, ah, oh, you got to lead him, bless. Or, <laughs> oh, that guy? Yeah. He could have played that part. He would have been the right age, too. Yeah. yeah, maybe it was him. I don't think so. We'll never know. There's <laughs> no way to find out. <laughs> because I have blown up IMDb. <laughs> Suck it. Um, oh, and for, for more film nerdy types, because uh, I think at least Guardians is a very populist film, uh, Rooker got his start in a great and very unsettling film called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. 
uh, which is a, a very disturbing film about a real-life serial killer. Oh, was it about Henry Brooker? Uh, is that his name? I forget his last name. Brooker's the last name of the actor we're talking oh, about. Oh, I was, I was positing, positing that uh, it was autobiographical, and he's like, well... I stopped killing because... Uh, I got the acting bug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As all serial killers would if they could eventually get to that part. Is this basically what Barry's about? Or no, he's a hitman. Um, hitman, serial killer, potato, potato. But on that day, as they're winning the last game of the Pennant series, two men, one of them played by Christopher Lloyd, are sitting in the stands. And actually kind of a nifty way to exposit because they're telling you everything about the players you're going to meet, but the reason they're doing it is they're trying to brief each other on which of these guys is most likely to take a gamble to throw the series. Now, these guys, they're small-time gamblers. Later, we meet, uh, I'd say, escalating tiers of bigger gamblers. Uh, Chick Gandle, the Rooker character, sits in a booth at the bar with a guy named Sports Sullivan, who's kind of middle-tier. He's the biggest guy in Boston. He's a, a big gambler in his city, but no one's as big as the New York king of gambling, king of sports gambling, Arnold Rothstein. And by big, we just mean has money to bet. Yeah, he has some money. <laughs> he he tells him, like, well, I can raise you, like, ten grand or something. Like, yeah, I can't raise fifty. Which Christopher Lloyd's character probably couldn't. Yeah. And so, in this bar scene, the seeds are planted, first by Chick Gandel, to throw the series. And they start collecting guys on their team... And they eventually, I think, get up to seven names, who seven people who agree to help throw the series. And yet eight people got barred. Yes, and that is the sad story of John Cusack's character, Buck Weaver, who never took any money and really never did anything to uh, detriment of the series. Buck Weaver and Joe Jackson, neither of them did. Yeah, J Joe Jackson is like a more iffy one, but yeah. He, he so didn't. eight people got barred, six, somebody got away scot-free. They got to keep playing and... I mean, if I'm doing the math right, um, they convinced seven people, eight people got thrown out, and that includes Buck and Joe Jackson, so there was somebody else. I think they thought they had Joe. Joe's an iffy one. That that gets brought up in Field of Dreams, where the Costner character's like, well, he's the only person to hit a home run in the game, so that's like... But the big thing was, he took the money. Ah, got he it. He took the money, he's like, let's fuck a gambler, and... Baseball was like, uh, no, no, don't do that. Um, but, okay, so, it's, it's plot-wise, this is a World Series. So, But what I respect about this is, I'd say it's about an hour before we get to the World Series, because what we're really focusing in on is the seeds of all these players and their varying levels of culpability, who is in on it, who isn't. Yeah, so there's the pitcher, Ciotti, who wants to send his kids yeah, to college and uh, Eddie Seacott, one of the pitchers, played by David Strathairn. Uh, you know, good night and good luck. Yeah. Great character actor. Uh, then you've got Lefty Williams, their other really good pitcher, and he's in on it. Uh, you've got the Rooker character and his friend named Swede. Swede Reisberg. Swede. Swede. Um, Neutral guy. A lot of these guys have nicknames, and just, you know, because we've already given away that they go to court... Something I like is in the court scene, they're all being read, like, their full names that you've pretty much never heard before. And it's kind of like a punishment, almost. It's like, yeah, well, you don't get your superhero names now. You're just Danny. It's yeah, like Borat being uh, uh, Meredith, his like middle Bor name, or something like that. This is... Oh, yeah, Margaret. 
This is the Borat of baseball movies. <laughs> we can't stop talking about Borat. A good movie, though. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, fun movie. Um, Side note, new Borat movie 2020 motion picture redemption, blah, 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 whatever it is. Fun. So, the other <laughs> two most important characters in this movie, aside from the team and the ones doing the fixin', are two sports reporters uh, for one of the Chicago newspapers. One, an old guy named Huey, and the other, a tall, uh, you know, generically handsome-looking man, played by none other than our writer-director, John Sayles. And they kind of have, like, a very, like, bantery, screwball-y chemistry with each other, but they're the first ones who are like, okay, we're going to keep separate scorecards. Anytime you see something that looks ishy, you circle it. I'll do the same. And so they were the ones who eventually broke the story. Um, and so plot-wise, what happens is eventually these games get thrown, but it's kind of not as clean as you'd think, because, A, as we mentioned, the varying levels of awareness, some people weren't in on the fix at all, including Cusack's character and the catcher, uh, played by Sesame Street's Bill Irwin. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of character actors in this thing. Um, and so... There's kind of, and the other one who doesn't know is their coach, played by Fraser's John Mahoney. Indeed. So anyway, there's a bunch of people. Some people are in on it, some people aren't. Uh, most of our main characters on. Then they start playing baseball. And pretty quickly they lose the first two games, uh, which is part of the plan. Except people who aren't in on that plan notice it immediately because they're not too subtle about it. No, they're not good at playing. But, you know, also there wasn't any television so nobody's got this on camera. It's not like a bunch of people are watching and going like, wait a minute, it's just the people in the stands and yeah. people keeping scorecards and, you know, telegraph operators just going like, and then this happened. So you might feel more emboldened. It's like, okay, like what's going to happen is someone... I, I think you just don't do that much research on, on how to... <laughs> I mean, I guess they did, they did get it on video camera, but it was like, yeah, it was more They're, of a... No, definitely not video camera. It could have been film camera. Oh, uh, yeah, it was yeah. film camera. Because there's, there's film of, of these games. Uh, but, so, the first two games are lost, and then the people who aren't in on it start, like, really knocking. The sports writer, who's very close with Eddie Seacott, it seems, you know, invites him to his room for a drink. He's like, like did, be honest with me, did you throw this game? And Eddie Seacott's like, no, I did not. Uh, and But by the third game... It's clear that the fix is in. The sports writer says, you lied to me, Eddie. Uh, to yeah. himself. He just says it to the air. And everyone's just like, oh man, that guy's losing his mind. <laughs> <laughs> He's got an imaginary friend named Eddie who lies to him? Why would you make your imaginary friend lie to you? But also, that's a wholly different movie. Also made in 1988. Called Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> It was called Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Um, you lied to me, Eddie Valiant. Oh, that's actually got a character named Eddie in it. Jacob's Ladder does not. Does it have a character <laughs> named Jacob? Yes. Good. Okay, so... So, but what eventually happens is the gamblers are corrupt, so... I think only one of the ball players gets their promised pay up front. Hold maybe on. two. The gamblers are corrupt? <gasps> Shocker. I thought all gamblers were honorable. Yeah, this this movie is so anti-gambler, you know? It's just offensive. 
Gamblers and drinkers, all soul searchers. Um, but yeah, so the gamblers are corrupt because they figure out, like, okay, none of this is legal. No one can complain in any kind of authoritative legal way. And so I think Sports Sullivan is the first one to be like, okay, like, who cares if the players don't get paid? I can go put a bet on some other shit with this money. I just got more money than I've ever seen. I'm not going to give it to the players. And so the players are all like, okay, slowly realizing they're not going to get their cut. I think the only one who gets any money that was promised is Eddie with the money under his pillow. Yes. And that's where some of the tension comes in because as it becomes more understood that like things are not on the up and up as much as they could be in, a, in an illegal situation... They start trying to win. Some of them do. Well, they really play it out like Eddie planned on that ten grand, and he won like twenty nine games for the, you know during the season. And they said they'd give him ten grand if he won thirty, but they kind of benched him at times to make to make it clear that he wouldn't win thirty. So, yeah, he's really uh, hard nosed about it when he's making the negotiation. He's like ten grand ahead of time, blah blah blah. Two games, then we'll talk. Yeah, which is thank you for bringing that up because that's so like, it's making it very clear that he was counting on ten grand right. for right, absolutely family and shit. And but that and it's also important to note that like yeah, that's the kind of the inciting incident because none of this is going to go if Eddie doesn't go along with it. And yeah, it's too hard to throw a game if if the yeah. pitcher's not on. So board. Charles Flat Champagne Comiskey once again rips off a player in a very. In a very dishonest way, because he said, if you win 30 games this year, I'll give you a bonus. He won 29 games, almost there, and the only reason he didn't make it is that the uh, owner purposely sat him out so that he wouldn't be able to make up that number. Well, he could have won every game he ever played that season. Yeah, yeah. and that if you do that, get you'll get your, a bonus. Get off your ass, Eddie. Get out of here, you bum. This is my team. At any rate. At any rate. Um... So, so they start winning games. They win a couple, uh, but then, you know, it's it's give and take. They also lose one, I think. And so it comes down to game eight. They have a chance to stay alive, and Lefty Williams, who is one of the corrupted pitchers, finally seems to be free of it. Uh, you know, at this point, the only one who's still like, no, let's throw it, is Gandal. And the rest are like, kind of by the same logic, I think, that like, okay, like, what's anyone going to do? The problem is then the gamblers show how serious they are and threaten to shoot uh, Lefty's family. And so he does end up throwing that game because someone says, I'll, I will shoot your wife. If you by the first win. inning. Yeah, yeah, by the first inning. And so, yeah, which I, I assume means, like, get yourself ejected from the game that quick. I thought it just meant it'll be clear to us by the first inning whether uh, or yeah. not you're you're throwing terribly. And if you're not... Yeah, I guess that's it. So start <laughs> losing immediately. Right. Like, don't don't even fuck me about, I want to see immediate. And that's the same in the first game where, they're like, the first batter hit him, put him on base. Yo, that was just making sure that, that, like, okay, so all this deal has gone on and people have talked and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, being the first pitcher and that'll be the signal that goes, okay, we're doing it. Indeed. And so, okay, so they lose the series. What they should have done is they should have just been the pitch, the first batter every every game. It wouldn't have looked suspicious at all. It would just be like, oh, he just does that. It's a superstition thing. <laughs> you always got to be in the first one. Everybody the, wants some. Everybody wants some. Here for a good time, not a long time. 
Uh, so And so as we say, this all goes to trial. There's a big stink. The sports writers break open the story, even though one of them's like, all of the city's going to hate you for this. I hope you're ready for that. Um, and it continues to be a black mark on Chicago to this day. And the players are found innocent, but the new commissioner of baseball, who, uh, okay, really wishy-washy on history here, but will go on to basically exacerbate the very problem that started everything, which is um, basically players will have no negotiating rights, no contracting rights. They won't be able to leave their teams or anything. It's kind of like the Hollywood studio system for sports. It's like, no, no, we own you. Yeah, under contract and all that. Yep. Very little ability to get paid anything extra, like kind of almost like blue collar in a way the athletes were in those days. Um, and so, yeah, and the takeaway basically seems to be that the, the big guys, the big money, the gamblers, the leaders, the executives win or they get away with their cut and eight of these players are banned. Yes. For life. And Bucky tries to prove his innocence every year for a while and Shoeless Joe just kind of goes somewhere? He just goes to play in some little... Oh, I saw an X-Files episode about it. He becomes an alien, or he was an alien the entire oh, time. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want the latter. He was just always an alien. Yeah, he was always an alien, and then he went to Kevin Costner and said, I'll stand in your field. No problem, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Ray. Uh, Ray, I'm standing in your field, Ray. If you build it, he will come. Your father. Or your brother. They, or I don't know, some people will come. Some shit will happen if you build a baseball field in your backyard. Oh, yeah, no, your father will. Well, that, but that's the twist. The shit might just be you losing all your money. Have faith. Have faith in ghosts. <laughs> okay, good. So we got the plot synopsis out of the way, which is good. Oh, because but you asked, so, so Joe, yeah, the rest of his life, uh, allegedly plays in like little shitbird leagues. Maybe goes down to Mexico to play. Still gets to play the game, but you know, like Goodfellas, Henry Hill, evicted from the spotlight from from grand things for life. No. Oh. He gets to live the rest of his life like a schnook. No. But what about this? Hey, hey, hey! How do we like it? Brady, how did you like this movie? Okay, so I really love this movie. And the reason is, um, I wouldn't just like it if this was a sports drama or a sports movie in the traditional sense. Because if, if you look at what I think are the other two best, probably, sports movies, certainly the two other best baseball movies uh, made, which are Field of Dreams and Bull Durham, those also really aren't about a baseball season. You what know. about damn Yankees? Um, you know, I haven't seen it since I was a little kid. That's a movie about baseball. And they do win the pennant, I think, in that one. And then Because of Satan? Then there's a movie where Brendan Fraser is playing a, a pitcher or something like that, and he says the damn mo Yankees is a movie about baseball. Uh-huh. What's that one? Uh, it's a baseball movie. Actually, I, I don't know that Brendan one. Brendan Fraser, he's a pitcher, he's kind of dumb. Um... The only dumb pitcher one I know is the scout. Major League. Oh, the Scout? I think it's the Scout. Okay. Is he the lead in that? Well, the, no, the lead is the Scout. Oh. I think is. Costner? 
That would make sense. I think he's like every fifth one. They're like, okay, we have to give it to Costner. Yeah. More Costner baseball. He is our. Living. What about League of Our Own? Uh oh, you know, I mean, that's a great movie. I love League of Our Own. Yeah, but, but I that's still a think... baseball movie, and it's a really good movie. I think it beats Field of Dreams. You know how I feel, man. <laughs> <laughs> but no, oh no, that's a fantastic movie though. That is a charming ass movie. Um, and that one is truly about a full season of baseball taking place. As much as it is about other things, you do get the full thing. Um, but Look, the, the moral of that story is if you have a war, there's not enough dudes around to play baseball, so the ladies got to step up. Ladies got to do it for themselves. So, you know, that's just how that goes. Anyway, okay, so <laughs> I think the point I was trying to make, though, is... Um, what makes this great to me isn't the sport itself, especially because, you know, uh, certainly if you know the history of this, you know what's coming. Uh, the very title, in, in effect, is kind of a giveaway. It refers to the fact that these players were ejected and that, you know, this this did not go in any kind of happy way. It's a huge Whoa, stain th- on the sport. I thought the title was Eight Men Out. Okay, that's just like that book, Eight Men Out. It's probably the same thing. Um, That's why it was a giveaway. <laughs> yeah, certainly if you've read the book, this will also not be anything spoilery. So it's, you know, as much as we watch these games happen, uh, the movie to me is not about the games. What I like about it is it's almost to me kind of a Coen brothers morality play. Because what we're watching is uh, greedy, you know, I, I don't want to use judgmental language, but let's say greed is the engine of this thing even if it's justified. And I think sales makes an argument that maybe it is. The sales uh, department never makes any good arguments. Skip that. <laughs> sales. All right. J- Director John Marketing. Uh, <laughs> John HR. No, but, you know, you get this plan. Like in a Coen Brothers movie, someone is feeling beaten down. In this case, these players who are treated like shit and not rewarded in spite of being the best team in the sport. And so some of them say all right, we need to f- make a plan to get money. And like in so many Coen Brothers movies, the plan to get money uh, is complicated and reveals a lot about human fragility and greed. And, you know, just like I, I like this movie as much as I do, and I, I give it an A uh, because I think th- I'll go three reasons. Uh, one, and this is maybe just incidental in you know, comparison to everything else, but... I like that this is a true ensemble movie. I think there are as many as like 20 characters in this thing, and each one kind of gets its own moment where they're the center and their character really functions. You think about the Rooker character, Gandal. He really starts this thing off, but then once he has his moment, he kind of disappears, and we don't get a lot of him as like the chief driver of the story. So this really is a very uh, democratic uh, narrative in terms of the amount of characters that are, that are allowed to carry it along. Uh, so I love that about it. Uh, and I think it just has a crackerjack script. I love this script. I think it's uh, very snappy. And in spite of being snappy, what I love about it is I think it's a very melancholic story. I think this thing is uh, suffused with a lot of sadness because this is uh, truly the saddest moment in baseball is this thing. It's It's a very... You know, a sad event and a shameful event. Uh, and I like that it's allowed to play out as kind of a slow motion car crash. If you know, if you read the story on a Wikipedia page, you get it instantly, right? Uh, 
there was a cheating scandal, eight players were ejected. What really makes this movie great to me is the kind of slowly awakening, slowly horrified morality of it as the people who are in on it realize that people aren't, maybe aren't going to go along with it and the people who aren't in on it suddenly realize what's happening and are doing their best to stop it. Uh, so to me, it's really just this great, very subtle, very well-acted morality play. Um, so yeah, I, I really love this movie. I really do. I didn't like it very much. See? <laughs> I saw it coming. <laughs> no, I mean, it was it was perfectly entertaining, perfectly fine. Um, just... It was a little muddy. So... Uh, it was part a, a period piece. It's part a, uh, you know... They, they do this thing where they set up the whole, you know, owners versus workers, you know, the people trying to make the money versus the people actually playing the game and this and that. That, that was cool. Um, then there's a lot, a lot, a lot of plot. There's just so much going on that it all kind of blurred together into a thing where I was like, eh, yeah, I, it's perfectly entertaining to watch. It's hard to analyze because it distracts from itself at certain points. That's very interesting. Um, see, uh, not to negate anything you've said, I, I almost feel like the muddiness of it is, to me, its greatest trait um, in how it just kind of sinks us into this moral morass, this kind of swamp of like people making a bad decision. Obviously, it, it didn't work out for them. It was... It was a greedy and bad decision and almost a criminal decision. They all, People almost went to jail for this. Um, and it's that kind of stickiness of, like, just so many conflicting motives. And, you know, even the people who are in on it start to have awakenings of consciousness. And, you know, they can't look themselves in the eye. And it's just, I don't know. the the can't look yourself in the eye. I love how murky Well, you just can't is. look yourself in the eye because your eyes are what you're looking with. <laughs> and I've tried. <laughs> Nobody should feel bad about that. You pop one out, like Demolition Man, you point it at the other eye. You say, hello. Yeah, but then again, you're just looking yourself in the eye, not in the eyes. Shit. You gotta get a third eye. <laughs> oh, I've got one. In your pocket? No. <laughs> oh, oh, the the chakra. Yeah, yeah, you know where the you know right behind the pineal gland where the where the MAO DMT lives in our brains and such. Deep, deep in our brains. Yes. Yeah, yes, deep, it is deep quite deep. <laughs> several inches. <laughs> okay. Well, we've gotten that out of the way. And oh, yeah. you're, you're going to have much more to say than I will. Um, I will if I didn't. I mean, maybe I shot my wad a bit because I, I sort of. But yeah, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll make be it careful. go. You know, make it last now. <laughs> but let's do understudy. Get tantric with it. Okay, so here comes this thing we call understudy. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway. So try to catch the actors, try to guess the movies, tweet us at C A R N Y Couch. This game called Understudy is happening, happening, happening right now. 
What the hell do I know about robbing a jewelry store? Uh, you'll learn it in there. Uh, on the drop chaining, you know. Cut it out, man. This is serious. Um, you know, I I I'm serious as a heart attack. Listen, number one, I can't. I can't go to the mall. But, 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 um, why not? Oh, God. Three months ago, I had to walk the whole goddamn area with a Home Depot representative because they were thinking of buying up a lot of space. We own a lot of land in the mall, and I'm getting a lot of big handshakes. Andy, baby, how are you? I haven't seen you in a long time since you've left, and, and telling me all that bullshit because they figure I'm making a killing because Big Chain wants to buy them out. I'm saying someone's going to just recognize me too easy. So, uh, we postponed, just, uh, yeah, we could, uh, you know, wait a year. I mean, I don't know about you, my problems are pressing. Jesus, uh, Andy, I, uh, Andy, uh, I wouldn't even know how to start, I mean. Well, you can stop being a baby. I'm not being a baby. Yeah, you're being a baby. Get a gun. You get a toy gun in a kid's store. Right? Uh, that old lady that works on Saturday, what's her name? D Doris? Yeah, D Doris. Mom's friend. She's, what, 60, 70? She's blind as a bat? Yeah. Look at me. Blind as a bat. All right. Hmm. Those toy guns, they look so real. They fool cops all the time. All right? You go in at 8 a.m. just as she opens up. You put her old ass in the back room. You empty the vault, the cash, the trays, and you dump it in a fucking sack. All right? You don't gotta be neat about it. I don't, Jesus, Andy, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, 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 I don't know. Okay, come on, you can do it. I, I, you can do it. Anybody can. I just think. I, I know. I just, I just. It's too late to think. It's too late. This is our future. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y cow. Okay, without spoiling anything, uh, I see why you chose Stuart for that. That is that's a perfect Stuart part. Uh, very stammery. How does that not spoil anything? Because... Oh, fuck! <laughs> Shit! I'm sorry. Let's, we will bleep so, that. So, what you're supposed to do... Uh, we will bleep that name. <laughs> no, we won't. Uh, <laughs> I don't edit. Not anymore. That's why we do this live, baby. Uh, <laughs> no, um... Well, I just think it's a perfect Kristen Stewart part, and you do the best Kristen Stewart in the business. Well... And one, if that's a spoiler, then sue me. <laughs> one thing I wanted to say is that there's no land in a mall. I don't know. You can't own a lot of land in a mall because there is no land in a mall. What about a, maybe it's a strip mall? I think it's a maybe a There's strip. There's no land there. Oh, just concrete and plastic and Starbucks. Yeah, I'm not sure why that. Land Ask is. an American Indian if this is land. They'll be like single tier. Uh, <laughs> um. I hope that wasn't uh, something I can't say nowadays. I don't know. Sure, I think I think you can. I I think that's not controversial. I'm coming up with things on short notice, people. As in, I just thought of it as it tumbled out of my mouth. I might have thought of it after. Um, 
um, um, um, Brady, what, 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 what is it all about? Hmm. Let me go, like, big, 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 by which I mean, like, uh, very sweeping first, and just say, it's about fucking capitalism, man. Here's the story, right? Here's the no, story, it's man. It's not about capitalism. <laughs> it's about baseball. No, um, it's about, okay, here's the story. Here's what it's about. Uh, it's taking this black mark on the sport of baseball. Not to interrupt, do you smell burning? I do. Me too. Is it my biscuits? I don't know. You go ahead and stay the beginning thing. I'm going to make sure okay. everything's okay. Go go see what's burning. Keep talking. So, so folks, Rob's not going to hear some of this, but you are, okay? Here's what it's about. It's about um, the evil... The evils of money, the corrupting influence of money, and how that fits into a capitalist nation. That's the first part that it's about. Because here's what happens. Instantly we learn there's a very rich, well-off owner, and he has every reason to be happy. He's fat and happy. He should literally be happy because he has what they tell us in the movie is the best baseball team to ever play the game. They are almost guaranteed to win this World Series. I don't know. I watched them play. I don't know if they're very good. No, they were very good. <laughs> they didn't seem to be playing very well. I, I, do you, we, we mean before they win the... Pennant? What I saw in this film as the representation of them playing. Do you mean in the World Series or the part before? I don't know. There was a lot of baseball play in the film, and uh, they were just dropping the ball and shit, not doing Wait, shit Wait, this right. is a joke, and I am daft and gullible. Okay. <laughs> I'm moving on. Yeah, no, it's true. There's there's a lot of bad baseball in this movie. Hey, we gotta rush this. The house is burning down. Um. Yeah. <laughs> oh, time, time. What do I got time for? John Cusack. Uh, we're gonna do a whole retrospective on his career, but we gotta cut that. Uh, okay. It's about... Capitalism in America and how that mixes and clashes, how that coexists, if you think it can coexist, with this idea of an idealized America, which baseball is and always has been a very good representation of an idealized America. It's our pastime, our not even our sport, as John, uh, George Carlin said, it's our pastime, yes. because it's our national game. Uh, and what happens is you get this owner... You know, steroids and, and cheating and uh, people pitching the World Series while sick with COVID and spreading it out to other people. Yes, it, it's, a, it's a very integrity-full game. <laughs> yes, and well, a wonderful thing. Let me go thing. on, let me go on. <laughs> I will. So it's about this man who, in spite of having something he should be very grateful for and treat very well, a really great team, can't even do enough to even get them a bonus that he promised them. Can't even get them decent champagne when they go to the World Series. And it's about how this need of the players, in a time which I think the movie in cool, subtle ways reminds us that, like, these guys are pieces of meat. They get beat up, banged up. And, you know, when Gandalf's making the argument to Eddie, he's like, sure, bet on yourself, but if it turns out you get hurt and you can't play anymore, you don't have insurance. Yeah, it's, well, it's like Sicati is... The reason that he took it so quickly and everything is because his arm's been screwed up for ten years. And so... It is about this gambling, this greedy scandal, and most people hear the story and the blame, as the movie shows, comes down on the players. They took the money, they shouldn't have done that. Gamblers obviously have a bad reputation, but people really put a lot of the blame on the players for agreeing 
to the gambler's viciousness. And what the movie, I think, does in subtle ways is locates this within an America where uh, money is put above human decency. It's because these guys can't get paid for the game they do, can't get paid what they deserve, that they do this bad thing. And so everyone makes their own compromised decision based on financial reasons, and it creates this big, rotten stink. And, and that rotten stink, the reason it's seen as so sad, is that it lands on this very idealized and very perceived as innocent sport. And so it's kind of about just the, the rot of that, I think. Yeah, the rotten stink of it was was quite strange to me. I mean, it's it's really weird to watch it even, and it's weird when there's scandals in baseball now and blah blah blah, and it's a big rotten stink. I understand if you're really involved in sports and this and that, blah blah blah. It's weird when the law gets involved or anything like that, because it's like, dude, there's these people over here playing a game, and people go and watch them see it. It's kind of over here. It's off to the side of society. It's not really a pointful thing of society. It's just a thing over here, so it's weird that there's even, like, kind of all this gravitas put to it. See, that's where I'm most ignorant, because, you know, okay, A, we'll say they do beat their case in a court of law, and that's where, that's the part I don't know. I don't know enough about what the legal, like, you know, in the going-to-jail sense ramifications were, and, like, what specific laws they, they broke in that sense. Well, I'm guessing that in this movie that they took some liberties with what actually happened. I'm sure. Uh, I don't think they they had a biplane drop a dummy on the field. I Wikipedia'd the 1919 World Series. I didn't see any mention of that. Okay. I don't think that happened. Also, you left that out of your plot synopsis. I By did. far the most plotty plot plot thing of the movie. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is a movie of uh, action through dialogue, right? It's all people agreeing to stuff. It's like a, a game of Survivor or no, something. That was a weird choice <laughs> to like have no one say any words about it, but also people not be freaked out about it. Oh well, except for a lady going ah! But like, yeah, the, a biplane flies over the stadium and drops a dummy of a White Sox baseball player. You know, very much like Pink Floyd dropping a load of inflatable pigs over Oakland. Uh, right. It's to make you think. Uh, and our take is that maybe that's gamblers being like, remember, we'll drop you from a plane if you don't come through. I thought it was just, see this? It's a dead one of you guys. Yeah. I it's mean, a dead guy who looks like you. It, it's ominous and kind of unspoken. It's ambiguous. But certainly uh, foreboding. It was a weird choice to put that in the film, I think. I think, to me, why I kind of like the choice is it's just like, it's taking, this movie takes this game that's very simple and, like, just makes it kind of ugly. Like, that's, that's the thing. And down to, like, the ugliness of the playing and, like, how shitty everyone looks out there. It's just like, you want to see, like, what the effect is in visual terms? It's this simple game and now, instead of watching just a simple game and enjoying it, we got suitcases full of money and money under pillows and strange, like, fish-in-hat warning signs, like dummies being tossed out of planes, and just shitty, shitty baseball. And, like, that's the movie where I think it lives uh, visually. It's like, it's just trying to convey rottenness, I feel like. Yeah, I kind of feel like... Um... 
this film is about uh, the dichotomy of the people in society and you know well not it's not even a dichotomy right because there's the team owners and stuff and they're collecting all the money and blah 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 and then there's the players who are um you know playing the game but kind of being underpaid not really paid what they're worth um and you know then there's infighting amongst the players it's a, this is my main critique coming back again. Then yeah. there's infighting amongst the players. They don't like the college boy, right? The guy who went to college because he's too smart for his own britches. And also he managed to get a good deal because he's educated, uh, I suppose. Oh, I, for, I missed that part. Or, well, I, early, he's one of the only ones who's being paid what he's worth was the comment that was made about him. Because he at least has the wherewithal to negotiate. Right. Uh, there's the young boys... Um, and the fans and the kids representing the love for American baseball, and they're mostly aligned with Bucky, who, who is, who is our also innocence. trying to be the person of with the love of the game and this and that. Um, there's uh, there's the whole thing. Uh, well, I guess this is this is less of an overt. There's the uh, scene where Shoeless Joe is like letting one eye go blind while he's looking into a candle, which is like. A clever little cheeky thing of turning a blind eye. Uh, um, sure, yeah. Yeah, there's... Look, again, this was my problem with the film. There's so many of these little things. It's not necessarily cohesive. It's, you know, there's... Um, and none of these... No one of these things are bad. It's just having all of them thrown in together makes it kind of a mess and doesn't allow me to sort of... Uh, buckle down on what it is exactly you're trying to say, which is why this What's It All About is so hard. Um, you know, and there's the period piece thing where kind of, you know, uh, Tess was watching with us. She's not on the cast, but she was watching and, and saying, oh, they all look the same. And yeah, they did, because in the 20s they all looked the same, and that was kind of just like a period flair. Like, everybody's got their hair combed the same way. Sure. And this and that. Um, I mean, but, like, you've got someone as famous as Charlie Sheen and John Cusack. Like, I get they both have black hair. And they hair, look the same. I guess so. <laughs> but they're such famous faces. And They're wearing uniforms. And, you know, Michael Rooker... It makes them uniform. Yeah, that's why they look the same, I think. Because, <laughs> um, like, Michael Rooker does not look like Charlie Sheen. Uh, I'm not... No, he just looks like a looks. white dude. He lo- well, but so does Charlie Rooker Sheen. <laughs> Rooker looks like a, a boxer, like an old boxer. He's got kind of a grizzled face. Even in and this he was movie. a boxer. Uh, oh, yeah? Well, the character. Oh, the character, yeah. The character in this movie was... He'd done some scrapping. Yeah, you know, he's got he's got that grizzled... He got his nose broke, Texan he's got blood look. in his eyes, and he, he, he landed an uppercut and knocked out the other guy's teeth that he walked on as he, he walked. Yeah. But, I mean, like, then there's little statements like that, too, and you're just like, okay, I guess this speaks... Again, it's the ensemble cast with all these characters, and each character gets their moment, but what the character's moment is doesn't really have a through line to it. See, but I think that very scene has a cohesion to the movie, because what does he say? He steps over the guy's teeth, and, you know, the script is written in a way that it, that's very disgusting, right? I think Tess cringed as we watch it. She's like, Ugh. And the women oh, the listening two, the to The two him, women look at him just kind of go like, <laughs> <laughs> But I think they're uncomfortable. Um, and he says, like, and... No, I, they're drunk. They're fine. They're fine. <laughs> Stop worrying about them. Just get them another drink. Um, but he says he stepped over this guy's teeth over all this blood and grabs a $50 bill. And that to me is... And that's immediately before 
the gambling ideas suggested, the throwing ideas suggested. We're in the midst of it. Yeah. Well, and then he also says, it would but, have been wiser for the two of us to just collect yeah, 25 exactly. bucks a piece and not even bother beating snot out of each other. It's like, okay, if you value, you know, sports as an example, but like any entertainer, and like they're putting themselves like through, you know, emotional shit, or in the case of athletes, physically diminishing their bodies for this, and you don't even pay them, it's terrible that something like the Black Sox scandal happens, but also, like, what do you expect? And, like, what what right have you earned to cast judgment upon it when we continue to live in a society that doesn't pay people what they're worth? And that's, like, the complication of the movie to me is, like, yes, this was very wrong and is very sad, and yet at the same time, like, who's going to shed tears for Charles Comiskey? who in the end gets away with everything anyway. Well, yeah, but he didn't participate in the scandal. He he didn't, that's true. But his, his team did. <laughs> he and didn't they, get away with anything. He just kept going along as he always had. Right, but his crime is to be a greedy, penny-pinching shithead. And, you know, at a point it looks like, well, maybe it will actually affect him because of this trial. I don't know, is that a crime? I thought that was the status quo. Yeah, well, it is, and I think that's probably the movie's point. I, I like, I don't, I don't think that the movie drew, drew such a hard line on that point. Uh, I don't think they ever really backed up. You know, well, that's just the way it is. Well, you get it was like this happened, that happened, this happened, and all these things were going on and stuff. I mean, you get like that line during the trial of the of Eddie, the Strathairn character. Like, saying, like, okay, we're, like, all the major players right now. They're probably counting up profits, and it's just us, you know, made to publicly be the face of this shame, this great shame. But the people who maybe are more directly responsible for that shame still get their money uh, and don't have to bear, like, any kind of any kind of blame for it. Well, I mean, and there definitely was, like, an 80s thing. Um, oh, crap. How silly of me i meant to sit down and jot down some other movies that are like this so i guess you can disagree with me because i don't have anything to back it up although i might think of something before the thing but there's an 80s thing um in movies even period pieces when they're shining it back down to the thing there's this preoccupation with things like smart or things like uh dumb or illiterate ignorant blah 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 Mm -hmm. like and these are words that are thrown around in the movie uh continually which is and they're almost spoken of and yeah i guess today we still do this i i I, i'd like to think that we do it less i think of it less but that these are immutable traits that like people are born smart or people are born as a okay i can play like like i you know that the idea that people are born with the traits they had so these players were born with the ability to throw the ability to pitch, the ability to hit, the ability to, like, run, like, all the things, you know. He, he can throw, he can he hit, he can hit, he can run, oh, but he can't read. Uh, you know, just this sort of oh, idea right. is, like, you were born with these traits, so I guess you're fit to play baseball. Or, like, this guy's a college boy, he doesn't really belong here, so that he gets some of the ire of all the other people on the team who view themselves given different gifts. Right. Which is something I've always just kind of real. I, like I don't think anybody's born with anything. I think you develop it 
some people develop some things sooner than others. Yeah, and, and I don't know if, like, the movie's saying that, like, you know, someone like Bucky, he might have a bit of innate talent, but he, he might also be here because he had to do a lot of work at it. If you want to be at that level, there's enough people with innate talent that you do have to, you know, make it your life, basically. There is a dialectic pose there where... You know, he says, like, oh, you made me into a ball play player, and then John Mahoney, the Chip character, or not Chip, um... Uh, kid. Kid the character, coach. uh, says, oh, no, you were always a ball player, I just rounded off the rough edges. Right. Which, again, is leading back to that, no, some people are just born ball players. Which is something I'm like, nah, I don't like that. <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. Um... <laughs> What were we saying before this? <laughs> well, I was saying that that's another thing that this is about, and it, it's a common trait in the oh, 80s. 80s movies, yeah. Right. Um, late 80s, early 90s, there's a common trait of, you know, here's the character, they are this way, mm-hmm. and there's little, um, there's little concern ever put into, you know, it's almost like the, like, s- things that were criticized for being super melodramatic. There's little idea put into the way how this person became evil or how this person became the good one. They just always were. We gave you a character. We told you they're the good guy. We gave you a character. We told you they're the bad guy. We don't really get into, well, he was abused as a child, and since then he learned to shut off his emotions and not give a shit about anybody else because no one gave a shit about <laughs> Right. I mean, I guess... Because, yeah, they have this line that they say, you know, at least a couple times where it's like, we're, we're just dumb ball players, like Right. Um, and I think that's maybe to, like, help emphasize that it's like, all right, like, before we stand in judgment of these guys, consider that maybe they had dedicated their, their lives to this, whether that was innate talent or through just doing nothing else with their lives, putting that, uh, you know, above everything else to the detriment of everything else. And so when they got their opportunity in a in an era where you know ball players were not paid very well to actually try to make a a nest egg for themselves, it's like it makes them that much more of underdogs and makes it that much more understandable why why someone might be tempted to do that because what what else are you gonna do? And yeah, I mean, I I guess what I'm saying is uh, it's kind of an idea that the the film puts out there, which is people are the way they are and this is how they how it you know this situation shakes out when you go with that tack or this and that um and perhaps that's not a bad thing to say or a bad thing to represent because it definitely in certain points like i said i would like to think not as much now as when i was growing up and I would think that if you continue that through line back in the 20s or 1919 mm-hmm. uh that you know, people probably thought that way a lot more. Um, I guess that's a valid thing to kind of spotlight in this film, and they did. I don't like that, so that probably colors my feelings of of a message like that <laughs> a little bit. Like, I don't like that idea. That's that's fair, because uh, I and you know you don't want to be a centralist about this, and um, it does put me in mind of uh, something David Foster Wallace said. We're on to David Foster Wallace now. What did uh, David Foster Wallace say? So Wesley Wallace. I don't know if if you Rob or you listeners knew, but he was once basically good enough to be sort of a pro tennis player, 
you know, a very, right. very, very good tennis player. Yes. And so he was always very interested. Uh, you know, he was a writer interested in subcultures. And one of those that he liked was the idea of the subculture of, of pro athletes also. But like, uh, in addition, people who are maybe not quite pro. And he said a thing which um, I think speaks to this idea of like, oh, like, are these ball players dumb? Like, is that fair to say? And his take was more like, he asked the question, consider what it must be and what it must involve to be the top, you know, 1%, which is what you need to be to, to be in professional baseball, to be the top 1% best at anything. Like right. stacking gumdrops, whatever it is. Yeah. Like how with all the people in the world and his take, I think, was like, they're not it's not that they're dumb. But when you have to focus so, so much on one thing for your entire life, there's a kind of single minded focus that happens to a lot of people where it's like, this is what I know. And it eliminates all the other things. Yeah, because to be this good, like. Well, not eliminates, but limits them. Yeah, is, is limiting. Which is why, you know, not to, I'm sure many athletes are very, very smart, but why you get the, the stereotypical dumb sports interview where it's like, yeah, yeah, coach said to go out there and uh, our take was, you know, to make it happen, to get more points than them and make them lose points. I, I think we did that today. <laughs> well, and, and, and dear listeners, like also let me uh, be clear, um, I don't hate baseball, okay? <laughs> I play... <laughs> I played You're better baseball. At baseball than I was. I, exactly. That's I was getting there. Um, I got no, walked a lot. I mean, um, Brady and I are probably both better at baseball than every average day person who didn't play baseball growing up. And you know, for a long time, I went. Uh, oh, everybody played like a couple years of baseball growing up, and you know, as I've played softball with friends as an adult and this and that, I, mm-hmm. I realized, oh. Most people didn't at all, and they just they can't right. even like put bat to ball. They can't really run, throw, catch, blah blah blah. And I I was always never one of the best on my team or whatnot. But I will say that I enjoy a good game of baseball, and I'm pretty good at it. You know, if you put me in the spectrum of just any average person, right. <laughs> Which is the deceptive thing about it. it. It's a simple looking game, but then if you play with a good person, you're like, oh, yeah. shit. So to call back to your David Foster Wallace point, yeah, to be the top 1%, right? Right. Like, if you're me, I'm in the bottom 1% of anybody who ever played baseball growing up. I'm still way better than the public as a whole. I, yeah. I, I would answer <laughs> David Foster Wallace by saying, yeah, I guess if you're going to be the best at one thing, you want to be the top 1% so you can be successful at it. Just pick something that almost nobody does so that you only have to beat out like nine other people. That's true. <laughs> pick a, a better mountaintop. Um, okay, let's do Metacritical. We're in no way done with the discussion of the film, but we can we can break it up a little bit. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you've got things oh, yeah. that you want to say. But anyway, intro. A Metacritical Rob's never gonna win A Metacritical Brady's the victor again Woo-hoo. So it's time to play Ooh-hoo. I'm gonna lose today Metacritical, yeah, it's time Time to play Yes, Metacritical, Metacritical, Metacritical That's the game that we're playing right now 
course I've done something horrible to the audio, because I always do. That's my job here. Okay, I fixed it. I didn't totally go out, I just went... I'm gonna go start R and Chrome, www. Not Metacritical, Metacritic. It's hard to, it's hard to say words and um, type at the same time, but not type the words you're saying. I would have just left it as it's hard to say words. <laughs> That's where I'm at. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to open this here fizzy water. Yes, I'm drinking fizzy water, everybody. Deal with it. Well, no, it's just... Could crack. Um, Brady. Mm. Why don't you pick the first movie for this game of Metacritical, and then I'll try to guess the Metacritic score, and then you try to guess the Metacritic score, and we'll see who's the closest to the guess, and we'll tally up, uh, after five films, the number of points that were away. Yeah, man, yeah, that sounds good. And then you'll lose! <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, here's a good one, because it's a movie I've seen recently and is really good. Uh, and it's kind of a, an 80s classic with an actor from this movie in it, and I don't know what the score is to this. Uh, but I'm certain... Good, I, I think that last thing is a... That's, like that, that's what you were waiting for. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's a critical... That's more critical than all the things that you said before that. Here's what's good. It's a classic 80s. It involves an actor from this movie, and I just looked at it. So let's go. Now, okay, I'm going to go with... John Cusack starring Cameron Crowe debut Say Anything. Say Anything. Say Anything's... Which also has John Mahoney. That's true. He is the corrupt-ass uh, father. Father. Who's, of, of who's stealing money from friggin' people in retirement homes. I just did it to... Is this a good moment? I just did it to... I wanted to take care of you. No, listen. 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 Listen, listen. Frage. Listen, yeah, that, that's a good one. Um, that's the timbre I was going for. I don't know how to do that timbre. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a tough timbre. Well, listen, Frage. Frage? Niles. Niles. Frage. Niles. Well, I, can, I, can get, I can get the gruff, but he's very gentle with <laughs> no, it. No, I just end up being Catherine Hepburn no matter what I do. N oh, Niles! Fine, Niles! Yeah. Frage! You're fine! Ah. <laughs> I just want to go to a bar and watch the football game. I'm fine, huh? Alrighty, so um, I'm gonna say this: this is a pretty good movie. I don't think it got very high on Metacritic. Um, Metacritic is a mystery to me. Mystery, but I'm I'm building this mystery to 72. That's good. That's a good score. Ah, oh, you think so? Yeah. Oh, okay. C minus. Yeah, good score. <laughs> Fucking Metacritic. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go a 78. 78, says Brady. Okay, let's hope it's on the lower end then. Even though I like this movie, I don't want it to be on the lower end. But taught me how to shotgun a beer. Um, say anything. Are you chill? The answer is... We'll give you your keys. 85. That's a good score. I Motherfucker. I'm in double digits. You're in singles. This is some shit, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news, you now get to pick. 
That's not good news. That's not good news at all. I don't even know what movies exist. <laughs> not without looking at the wall there. Uh, okay, so we'll go with John Cusack or John Mahoney. Uh, John Cusack or John Mahoney. John Cusack or John Mahoney. Oh, baloney. I'm going to go with John Cusack. And... I'm thinking of like a later John Cusack with this got Jan Dan Aykroyd in it, and they're in Michigan, and a gross point blank. Oh, no, that's a good movie, okay. I haven't seen that since I was like 12 or something. That's around when it came out, I think. I think I've seen bits of it and going like, what? What is this? I'm confused. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd's yeah. being his normal crazy self, and has he been drinking that Crystal Skull vodka? What's going on? No, I'm, I'm just a hitman, Pally. I'm just a hitman. I'm Dan Aykroyd. I'm going to kill you. Well, you get to pick first. Um, I know. I think that is a, you know, it's not like a uber critical smash, but it, I think, was quite well reviewed, and I think the public likes it a lot. That seems like the ideal place to go with a 75. Okay, I'll go 85. Because that's what Say Anything was when I thought it was going to be, like, in the 60s. Um, gross, point, blank. I'm keeping there being audio uh, here. Uh, put an thing. E on point at the okay, end. Okay, I, I was wondering whether not to put the E on uh, point or gross. No, no answers. Okay, I'm going to have to go to here. Brady, say some or stuff. Is the E on... Maybe the E's on gross. Uh, <laughs> it which, is. Which, it's yeah. on both. <laughs> oh, tricky, tricky. Tricky, tricky. I hate fucking Metacritic search thing. It's like you have to spell it exactly right. If you put an apostrophe in the wrong place, you're I screwed. Know. Surely they have the technology. No, the answer is 76. Ooh. What What did you say? 75? 75. God damn it. You're still in the single digits. I am now in the nines plus twelves range. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I'm trying trying to get a bullseye. All right, bullseye. well, pick one that you don't know so that you can't <laughs> do what you're trying to do. <laughs> okay, have we done this one? Have we done Tommy Boy? I don't think so. Okay, Dan Aykroyd's in Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. I'll guess first on Tommy Boy. I like Tommy. I do too. But I don't think the people, the critics, the writers on Metacritic like Tommy Boy because they've got no taste and they don't they don't rate <laughs> things the way I think they ought to, so I always lose this <laughs> fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just the segment where Rob gets more and more irate each week. Um and yet I insist on... <laughs> on we should being. totally burn Metacritic. <laughs> burn him down. Um, uh, 67. Brady, it's now your turn to say so something. So, I, I like this, this dumb little movie quite a bit, and it makes me laugh and has good jokes. I think... I'm with you. I don't think the critics were very fair to it. I think it's like a 55. Oh, shit. He knows it. He fucking knows it. Tommy Boy. 
I'm pretty sure I can spell that. Oh, fucking Christ. 46? Yeah, that's too low. What the? It's not that bad. No, but the problem with it it's is, got is in it. it's How even dare you? it's even lower than you thought, and I was higher than you were, so this is a problem. Oh yeah, score-wise, it's not good news. No, no, For it's you. terrible news. <laughs> terrible, terrible news. Your turn to pick a film, Brady. Number four. I mean, how can a song where they sing "Eris" to Wait, get four? that rating? Number three. How many have we done? Done three movies. Three. Okay, four. Number four, Brady. Eris two. Eris two. They, yeah, they sing. Yeah. yeah, no, no fuego en de mano. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, it, uh um, oh, here's a time to name drop someone. Grant Evans would sometimes just go up to people and be like, "Brady, eres el agua de mi fuente." <sighs> well. What's the movie, Brady? What's the next movie that we're betting on? What's going I on? What's happening? Up. What's going? No, it's you're up. No, no, it's, I'm up. I'm, uh, I'm up. I'm up. I'm up. Okay, I will say, uh, uh, Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because Donald Trump's in it. Because Donald Trump's in it, and we like movies with him in it. And we can't wait till he's lost in New York. We can't wait till he's. Uh, he won't be lost for long in that city. They will find him. Yeah, orange man bad walking around the streets confused. <laughs> uh, Come on. So, you, oh, do I go what first? Do you think? Yeah, you go first. I tell um, the movie. You do the thing. Um, I think that's a movie. That's a weird movie that didn't get good reviews. I think it got like a 42. Well, shit. If Tommy Boy got a 46... <laughs> 33. Um, alone. Dos. Two. I I. Okay, I'll just have to search for Home Alone and hope it comes up. Yeah, that's the way. Home Alone, alright. Girl walks home alone at night. Ooh, let me click on that. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I hear that's good. Um, That is true, but... Uh, what? It's not in here, but the first one is? Home well, Alone 2. I'm just going to Google it, and we'll click on it. On the Wikipedia. I think it should show up. And God, oh, I am we got to stop using Metacritic. <laughs> um, But I'm going to have to rename this whole game if we do that. Um, How do I click here to find the Metacritic score? Can I? It should appear. All right, so it didn't show up okay, in Metacritic. It's, just, we'll it's, just, not it's just not there. Although Home Alone is, and that was before Home Alone too. So, what the hell? What the hell? Uh, one what has a cultural hell? footprint; the other doesn't. Uh, they why. both have Kevin McAllister dibbity <laughs> doing them. <laughs> they both have Kevin goddamn McAllister. <laughs> he likes to wear sweaters. He screams. Indeed. Well, Home Alone 2 had Joe Pesci in it, so I'm going to go with Goodfellas. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, oh boy. What do you think Goodfellas is rated at, Brady? Like a 99? Okay, 92, I'm going to say. Maybe I can get it dead on and trim it down. Trim it down. Goodfellas. I know that's how it's spelled. Goof Dellas is whatever. I know the movie's name. Goodfellas, 90. God damn. 
I had it dead on, I would have. So I, I might have actually caught up to you there, but I only received seven extra points, and you're still way in the lead. Um, all right, pick another one, Brady. Mm, okay, Goodfellas. Pick another one. Goodfellas has. Let's see. Did we do that on the podcast? Uh, what Goodfellas? Yeah. No. No, we haven't. Okay. That might be fun to do. Oh, it's it's a masterpiece. It's one of the best. Um, yeah. So, in Goodfellas, let's see. You We're got, picking the last movie here. It's the last movie. Yeah. Okay, this, forgive me, because this might not even show up, but I love this movie. Uh, Ray Liotta is in a Jonathan Demme movie from the 80s with Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffith called Something Wild. No, fuck you. Pick something else. Okay. <laughs> okay, no, we'll do it. Something Wild, those people in it. I've never heard of it. You'd like e- it. I'd like it. Okay, so it's going to be rated low is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> it has a Metacritic of two. 72. 72. What's your guess? Uh, I'm going to go like a 78. 73 is the answer. Okay, there God you go. God damn it. I could have gotten one off and I might have been within seven points of view or something like that. All right, what's the tally? What's the tally, my friend? Rob's got 35, Brady's got 11, something like that. <laughs> like you didn't do so terrible. No, I didn't do so terrible, but you, as always, did far too well. Yeah. I'm uh, sulking. You got see a my body language? <laughs> I can see um, you got a 46, I got a 32. Oh, okay, I get it. You got the score that I thought I got, and I did worse. Yeah. Well, you're gonna have to get blasted by the pre-recorded outro as long as I don't hit rank it instead. A Metacritical! I won again! Fuck you. If, if it's any solace, and I know it's not, I get less and less joy from hearing my dumb falsetto every week. <laughs> so, so this movie, um, okay, so, guys, I'm sorry. I get less and less, uh, less and less from my recorded fuck you. In fact, I'm just going to have to double it up every time and just time it right. Fuck you. Man, this sucks. No one's getting what they want out of this deal. This Metacritic is is killing us. It's killing us. It's it's critically killing. And that is why us. we must kill Metacritic. Well, you know what they've been saying lately. If you don't like something, go to its house and put a cardboard guillotine out front. <laughs> <laughs> they do they do say that. Um so so guys, I got real dramatic, as I often do with my what's it all about. I'm sorry, because that that does a bit of a disservice to this movie. I did say, and I continue to say, that I love this movie for its melancholic tone. But I think this is a really funny, sharp script. You got some some lines here that I really, really like for their comedic value. Uh, You know, like one that I love and that makes it like very Cohen-y to me. With Cohen Brothers films, you often get the the motif of a repeated line and like kind of a repeated line where it's like 
the more it gets repeated, the less it means. So it's just a thing people are saying. Uh, what's the one in like the Big Lebowski? I mean, I guess the Big Lebowski has a bunch where people just keep repeating like turns of phrase. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Um, <laughs> this aggression will not stand. Man. And in in Eight Men Out, you have this one, this line that's used by the gamblers, mainly by Abe Attell, who is Arnold Rothstein's right-hand man, where anytime the gamblers ask, like, okay, can we finally get paid, like, a little? And he'll always be like, it's all out on bets. Like, all the money is gone. It's just, like, in the ether on other bets. And finally pays off that he himself is calling up someone who owes him. And it's like, would, could you just... You owe this to me. Could you give me at least 2000 What do you mean it's all out on bets? <laughs> and so I, I love that. I love the line when the dummy gets tossed and uh, John Mahoney's character asks, like, ask it if it can pitch. And uh, what's the other one? Oh, and then I like the line where, where basically the two reporters, the John Sales one is saying, like, man, whoever, like, fixed this trial must have paid an arm and a leg. And then his friend is like, yeah, I wonder whose leg it is. Like, oh, maybe it's Comiskey's leg. Like, maybe Rothstein's arm and Comiskey's leg. I, I like their dynamic so much. That's the one I was telling Tess. Reminds me of, like, two Venture Brothers characters. Yeah, well, I mean, it was just kind of a thing that was going on with... Uh, throughout the film, there was, you know, a, an attempt to put a lot of the this, that. Uh, the lingo of the of the time mm -hmm. kind of the way people talked was a little much mouth and this and that um all those things yeah i just i find it sparkly oh, again we got adding, dogs yeah we got dogs and they can be here but i just don't want the door open because i don't want to hear the, the the other people in the house barking i mean the studio this whole house is a studio it's my studio and they bark Everyone else in our house barks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tess is just making dinner, and it's like rough. <laughs> like what, honey? Like, how, how was your day today? <laughs> rough. <laughs> uh, okay. I don't know what. Do you, like I, I just I find this script like very. It's just quotable to me. I, I like I like sales is. I've only seen two of his films. I really like this writer-director. I think this would make a good radio play. Exactly. He's a verbal guy. This but not well-suited for a movie. No, I know. Like, you, I think, like, you're a director's man, and I love directors, too. This, like, as much as I've crowed about quality of performance, this, to me, is a writer's movie. The script is the, the star of this show. Uh, if for no other reason than... There are 20 different actors, so, like, no one in this vast ensemble can possibly be the star of the movie. It's the writing. Yeah. I gotcha. I understand. What are we doing next week? <laughs> next week. Okay. First, I'll toss out a another John Sayles movie. The one that I mentioned, which is The Brother from Another Planet. I don't like Sales Department. <laughs> <laughs> They're mean, and they break things that I fixed. And they don't take refunds. Ever. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, should I take that one uh, back? 
No, I think John Sales is probably a pretty good director. Uh, maybe his other movies will be less mushy. Maybe. <laughs> I, I'm going to put forth No Country for Old Men. Damn it. That's a good one. Yeah, what else do you maybe want to watch? Uh, what else? Oh, let's see. Let me go with... Uh, I'll suggest Bill Forsyth's Housekeeping. Another 80s movie. All right. Well, that's a that's a suggestion. I've heard suggestions. I've got a better one. I do. I do. What do you think it is? I think it's uh, Home Alone Two. No, it's Doctor Shivago. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, should maybe do Doctor Shivago. It's um, a long and pretty movie. All right, pick one more. <laughs> one more, okay. Let's go with... Hmm. I'll go with Long Day's Journey into Night. All right, good choice, good choice. Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, a Gary Cooper movie, High Noon. Ooh, nice. Never seen it. Oh, well. You're in for a treat. There might be a gunfight. Might be. Bad high noon. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Okay. So, maybe. of the six that we, we've, we've suggested, pick one. I made a promise. You did. I promised I would pick No Country for Old Men. We've been trying to get it in for weeks and weeks and weeks. All right, I'm going to put up high noon. <laughs> okay, I think there are no losers in this scenario. Uh, are we shooting? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I hope I don't win. Yeah, this is weird, because <laughs> I don't win a lot, so this is this must not feel good for you. It's like, damn it, you, you should have let me pick no country. I, I, I could have just said no country again. Yeah. And then it would be for certain. But uh, I thought this would be more interesting. I'm going to brick it. Here we go. All right. Evens or odds? Odds. You want odds? I do. Okay. Ready? That means I'm evens. One, yeah. two, three. Shoot. It's odds. I did it. Oh, oh, okay. So we're doing no country. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Uh, yeah. Thrilled about that. Excellent. No, that'll be a fun one to do. We can make all sorts of faces and names and such, and, uh, you know, things will just go the way they go. Well, do you have anything that you want to say before it's... Uh, uh, no, no, th thank you for uh, watching another sports movie. It wasn't bad. I mean, I was fine with it. It was just like... Um, I Like, it was really enjoyable to watch. It's It's just hard to, like, talk about much with it from from my point of view. That's fair. Yeah. 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 I'm not I'm not mad about watching it. That's good. I'm mad about casting on it. <laughs> 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 Alrighty. Well we'll see you all next week when we do No Country for Old Men and maybe we'll have Grandy on. That would be a good one to oh, do. Oh yeah. I'll I'll call him and see if he can manage it. That would be awesome. Alrighty. Here we go. Uh three two one Grant Evans. <laughs>
theme song. Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. The sales department never makes any good arguments. Skip that. (laughs)